All right, tonight we're going to start in Zechariah. Zechariah, toward the very end of your Old Testament. Next to last book. Zechariah 8. Begin reading in verse 22. Now the literal and doctrinal application of this text is Jews. But there's a real good spiritual application that people even in the church age. It says, Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. I want to preach this evening on uniting with God's people. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak to us and make us see the importance, Lord, of joining up with a group of people that have you on. And I pray, Lord, that be the most important thing to us, second only to our personal relationship with you, is to be united with some people that are in close fellowship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to say tonight that the best reason for joining with a person or people is this. You sense God's presence on you. You don't need to join with any perfect people because, as you know, there aren't any. You don't need to join with uh, necessarily rich people or physically strong people or physically good-looking people or people that have business connections or people that uh, look at everything uh, politically maybe the way you do or everything personality-wise the way you do. You need to do like these people in the millennium are going to be doing, where it says, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, we believe in taking our Bibles literally and putting it in the right place dispensationally, and, and we understand what's going on here. Um, one of these days, the Lord Jesus is going to reign from the throne of David in that millennial kingdom when everything's going to be all right. And that golden age that we talk about in literature and in songs is here. And the thing that will make it the golden age will be that Jesus will be reigning over us. There will not be any elections. We're not going to decide who we uh, Jesus will decide. He'll decide a whole lot better than we will. Amen. Now, if any, any sinful, mortal human being, the last thing you would want is them making any decisions for you. But when it's the case of the Lord Jesus, you absolutely want him making all your decisions for you. And so that will be a wonderful time. And uh, there will be plenty that are militarily defeated before this kingdom. But our text reveals that after the fact, there will be many Gentiles who will be seeking the God of Israel willingly. And one of the ways they do this is joining with God's people, the Jews. Now the spiritual application for our day, and believe me, we're not in the kingdom age, are we? No. Oh, man, no. If somebody, whoever's reigning over us now, let's impeach him and get somebody else. And, I don't, and I don't just mean here in the United States of America. I mean in the world overall. Amen. Uh, it's a mess. Uh, know who the God of this world is? Oh, yes. That's right. Now, the spiritual application, though, is what we preach tonight. And it's that we learn that when things are as they should be, people want to join themselves to people when they see that God is with them. There's a great passage on this back in 2 Chronicles where Judah 
and Israel have split up. And Israel doesn't like Judah, and Judah doesn't like Israel, and there's tension between them. And there's some wars and skirmishes between them. And yet, read this astonishing passage, 2 Chronicles 15, verse 8. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, so I knew about that, that's the southern kingdom, and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh. Well, now wait a minute, that's, that's up in Israel. And out of Simeon. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance. A bunch of them. Look at this next phrase. When they saw that the Lord his God was with him. You know how you decide what church you go to? You find out which one the Lord is there in power. Right. You know how you figure out who you listen to and who you befriend and who you build close relationships with? The ones that the Lord is with them. If you do it on any other basis, you're going to get you're going to get some bad direction. You're going to have some bad mistakes. So let's look into this here just for a little bit this evening. All right. First of all, we're talking about seeing God's presence with people. So let's discuss God's presence for just a little bit. Uh, now, God's essential presence is everywhere. We teach kids when we're teaching them on theology and things, we teach them that God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere present. Uh, you can't go anywhere uh, where God is not. He is there in some sense. He is there in, uh, well, let's just read the verse that, that defines it and describes it for us real good. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. see. It's verse 7 I want here. Yes. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Uh, remember the prophet of God that thought he had just run away from God? Mm -hmm. God was there, wasn't he? Yep. God was in the sea. God had a whale that he brought up to take care of Jonah. Amen. He did that. And Jonah thought he'd get out of God's will and just wouldn't go. And the Lord had the uh, whale spit him back out on the shore. And he was all happy to preach then. He had an attitude adjustment. <laughs> all right, God's essential presence is everywhere. God's glorious presence is in heaven. God up there in all his glory, now that's, that's in heaven. You and I couldn't handle God's glorious presence, could we? Didn't he tell Moses, no man can look on me and live? All right, here's Revelation chapter 1. That mighty book of Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. 
and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So when uh, John saw his glorious presence, he hit the deck. He fell as dead. So God's essential presence is everywhere. God's glorious presence is in heaven. Now let's talk about this. God's terrible presence is felt by his opponents. How many of you all have felt the terrible presence of your mama or daddy? <laughs> How many of you have been in school and felt the terrible presence of a teacher or a principal? Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, you had done something wrong, and that person's presence just scared you to death. There have been plenty of people felt the terrible presence of a criminal attacking them or a judge sentencing them, or a guard coming and catching them. Uh, let me tell you the worst terrible presence to ever think about. And one I'll mention before I get to the worst, of course, is the devil. Lucifer, boy, you'd be cast down at the very side of him. You do not want to fool with the curious arts and the devil and his devils. But higher than all of them is the Lord. Leviticus 18 says this, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore do I visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Isn't that a great word picture that the Lord gives us there? The Lord visits the iniquity on the land. Boy, do I shudder about what might happen in this country. Amen. It is nothing but the mercy of God. We're not in way worse trouble than we already are. And believe me, we're already in real yes. bad trouble. Yeah. You talk about a mess. You talk, a society can't even survive the way we're falling apart. That's right. You can kid yourself if you want to. This thing is badly, horribly shipwreck at this point. Yes, that's true. Right, to the point, I don't think you can put it back together. Outside of a, a miracle from God, we won't be able to put this back together. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, man. We're shot outside of some miracle of God I don't know anything about. But uh, the Lord's presence is, is terrible. Ephesians chapter 5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. There's God's terrible presence coming on the children of disobedience. It's called the wrath of God. Wrath, we've talked about this over the years. Wrath is different than anger. Anger is just when you're mad. Wrath is when you're fixing to do something about it. Anger, you might ball up your fist down here at your side. Wrath, you're rearing back ready to hit somebody. When you're under the wrath of God, oh me. That, that's God's terrible presence. Now we were in 
Revelation just a minute ago. I'm going to read just one more time from Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Amen. That's God's terrible wrath. Where you're so scared, you're fine with falling under an avalanche rather than facing him. Uh, that's the God of the Bible. So we have his essential presence everywhere. We have his glorious presence in heaven. We have his terrible presence felt by his opponents. Thy bountiful care, though, the song says, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light, it streams from the hills, it descends from the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. So that reminds me to say his providential presence is seen by the inhabitants of the world. You get needing something, let me tell you what happens. God shows up. God gave us the air we breathe. He gave us the water that we drink. He gave us the food that we eat. He gave us the bodies that are able to use those things. He gave us the families that love us. He gave us every good gift and every blessing that there has ever been. See here, I've got a note. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Acts 17, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. His providence, his providing for us is to everybody. But I tell you what he does do. He does it a lot of times through his people. It pays for you to be close to God's people. Uh, here's Judges. Judges chapter 4. Men of Israel are in trouble. And uh, they're being attacked. And the Lord wants them to go fight. And they're scared too. And they're not obeying. But there's a woman. And this woman has this. The presence of God. Right. And they know that as long as they've got God's presence, they're going to have his providence, his provision. Now, here's Judges chapter 4, verse 4. It says, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kedesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? I mean, the details had already been given to him. Right. It wasn't just a deal where God had said, Well, at some point with some army, go and do something. No, there were details. I mean, he told him exactly where to go and exactly where to get the people and exactly how many to take. There was a plan in place, and he's just scared to do it. Right. Verse 7, And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, 
if thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. <laughs> now, I've, I've taught and preached this myself and said, you know, he shouldn't have been scared and would, would only go if a woman was with him. But there was more to it than that. Oh, yes. It wasn't just because it was he had some woman with him. It's because he had a woman with him that had the presence of God with her. That makes a big difference. If he had just went and found some random woman in Israel, it, I promise you it would not have helped. <laughs> but what happened was God provided some protection that was needed, and when everybody was scared to do it, the one that had God's presence with them was the one they said, you know what, with you, I'll go. Are you that kind of a Christian? Do you have that kind of testimony? Do people know that the Spirit of God is in you and that He's filling you and controlling you? His providential presence is seen by the inhabitants of the world. Everybody in the world gets a lot of God's providential presence. But God's gracious presence is with His people. <clears throat> when Jacob was working for his father-in-law, Laban, and he started to leave, he said, Oh no, you stay. I've learned that God has blessed me because of you. Jacob may not have been the most upstanding, trustworthy, honest guy, but I'll say this, he stayed with God. Crooked as he was, you say, you mean to tell me sinful people can stay with God? Yes, thank God that means you can. <laughs> yes, thank God that means I can. <coughs> we have to be perfect to stay in the presence of God. Can't none of us do it, can we? Amen. Genesis 30, 27, And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D hath blessed me for thy sake. Proverbs 13, 20 says it this way, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And the wisest man is one stays close to God. You will not find a wiser man than that. So that's a discussion of God's presence. Now let's look at some evidence of God's presence. Uh, where God's presence is, they'll have some scriptural doctrine, won't they? How many of you believe that uh, you'll be in God's presence and you'll be teaching things and believing things and talking about things contrary to what the Word of God teaches? I don't believe God put up with that. I don't believe he'll hang out in a place like that. Mm -mm. John 7, verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine. But is that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for inspiration. Correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. Um, Titus 2.7, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Just on and on and on, scriptural doctrine shows up where God is. Why? Because he's the author of scripture. Because it's in the preaching of the Word of God that God manifests His Word. It's in the preaching uh, that it pleases God to save people. It's in the preaching of the Gospel that there's power. All these things come from the Word of God. So if you find a place where the Word of God is preached scripturally, correctly, doctrinally, you know, okay, the presence of God is around here somewhere. 
Amen. Secondly, the purity of the ordinances, the things that God's ordained, the things that God has set in place. Romans 13, 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I don't, I don't believe that we take things that God set in place and throw them out. People are all the time looking for an excuse to disobey laws. I believe we ought to be law-abiding citizens. Now, yes, we know the exception. We obey God rather than men. But as long as we're not having to disobey God, we're supposed to obey laws. Made even, made even by some of the dummies that are making them. Amen. But you know what? It says, whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. As long as they're not having you disobey God, do it. Bad as I hate some of them. But especially in our country, we have no reason to complain near as much as others have because we can influence those laws in ways that other people can't. Not near as much as I wish, but we, but we can. Uh, 1 Peter 2.13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king is supreme, and on and on it goes. And the man is the head of his house, and the parents are over the children, all these things that God set in place, we do them. Why? Because God set them that way. We don't apologize for what God did. That's his business. We just don't resist those ordinances. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.9 But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So besides the scriptural doctrine, besides the purity of ordinances, and by the way, I, 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 let me run back and, and hit this one right quick. There's some ordinances in a church we're supposed to be doing. Yes. Of course, you know, in the, Baptist, in the Baptist churches, it's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And Paul said, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. It's real important to me that we keep the ordinances here at Victory Baptist Church as they were delivered to us. Because they're found in Scripture. Because our forefathers before us have done those things. But after purity of ordinances, uh, there's also brotherly love. God teaches you that. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So we've seen God's presence in general. We've seen the evidences of God's presence. Here's a good one. Divine changes made. Did God show up in your life and nothing change? Somebody as big and strong and powerful as God, somebody as holy as God, came in contact with somebody as weak and lowly and sinful as us, and you're telling me no change was made? Uh, wait a minute, that, that doesn't work, does it? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. Let's even look at an Old Testament scripture about that. Uh, Exodus 33. Where the presence of God is, there's some changes made. Amen. Some people aren't what they used to be. Exodus 33 and verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight, 
Is it not in that thou goest with us? So we shall be, so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. You know what happened? God's presence showed up, and all of a sudden they were different than all the other people on the face of the earth. Where God's presence are, the people are different. He makes changes. But along with that comes reproach. Did everybody enjoy and appreciate the children of Israel as they went toward the promised land? Did they not say, hey, let us just pass through your country. We won't even take any of your food or drink as we pass through. And they said, no, you won't. And God up armies defied them. Uh, and not everybody will appreciate you when you have the presence of God on you. As we've often quoted from Bob Jones Sr., you cannot move without producing friction. A man who has no enemies is no good. Amen. you got the presence of God and you're doing anything, you're making some enemies. You say, well, I don't want to live like that. That'd be miserable. Oh, no, that's where the joy is. Listen to 1 Peter 4.14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, listen, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. You see his presence right there? How do you feel about it? Happy are ye. But what are you getting from outside? Reproached for the name of Christ. Boy, study 1 Peter 4.14 sometimes. We have a Christianity that gets along way too well. It ought to be making people mad. You study all through your scripture. The people that God's hand was on came into conflicts, troubles, didn't they? Problems. Problems in their family. Problems with their neighbors. Problems with the government, problems from criminals, problems every which way you can have them. Pro certainly problems from religion. So what are some signs of God's presence? The scriptural doctrine, the purity of their ordinances, their brotherly love. Baptists could do a little better on that one. The changes made in their lives and the reproach of the cross endured. And they're happy anyway. If the only thing you're being attacked for is the cross, you can still have joy. All right, now let's look at the influence of the presence of God on those without it. There are a lot of people around us that don't have much presence of God. But when the presence of God gets close to them, how does it affect them? All right, number one, dissatisfaction with their present condition. Um, if you don't know that people are dissatisfied with their present condition, you are not observing very closely. People decide, you know what, I need to turn over a new leaf and do better. And they go work harder and try harder and study deeper, get tired of that and lay down, go back home and quit and lay down. Why? They weren't happy with what they were doing. They lay there and guess what they find out? They don't have any rest and they don't have any peace there. And they feel nervous and they're like that sluggard as the, as the door turning on its hinges, so is the sluggard turning back and forth. And as they lay there and try to rest, they're not happy there. Hey, I thought you said you weren't happy having to work so much. They were working you to death. Now you're laying down and you're not finding any peace and satisfaction there either. Hey, don't ever think, folks, that just being a bum and sitting down in the easy chair and resting on the couch will bring you any peace. 
I gotta admit, my flesh tells me every day that if I just had a little more couch time, I would be so much happier. <laughs> uh, I've confessed my sins here before. It's not like you don't know it. I have a sorry streak. <laughs> and being on a couch under a blanket is just one of my favorite things in life. I don't get near enough of that, my flesh tells me. But let me tell you this. I have had you know vacation time where I didn't have something to do, and I laid around, and guess what I was not? happy or content. You will not be happy working. You will not be happy laying around. They decide I'm all lonely. I want to find love. They get love. Guess what? Can't get along, get divorced. They weren't happy alone. They weren't happy married. Well, I want children. They have the kids now. They wouldn't dare say this. But everybody can tell by the look on their face and the stress in their lives. They're not even enjoying their children. They think, well, I need more money. And then they get more money and they're not happy with that. And miss when they had fewer worries. And let me tell you something, there's some trouble and some heartache and some sorrow and some worry that comes with having money. Oh, yeah. I remember telling Dad when I was a little boy one time, well, boy, I wish I was just rich. I would take care of all these problems we've been talking about here lately. He said, yeah, it would. He said, but money brings a whole new set of problems with it. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I'm saying this. People are dissatisfied with their present condition. I know what's missing. The puzzle piece in the shape of Jesus is missing out of their heart. And when somebody comes up with the presence of God, all of a sudden they look past whether they're laying down or busy, whether they're making money or not, whether they're married or not, whether they're surrounded with friends or not, whether they're surrounded... They've got the politics they want, the freedom they want, the government control that they think would be so much better. Whatever it is they want, they're dissatisfied, and it enhances it, 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 it increases it even more, it aggravates it, you might even say, when they're so aggravated and dissatisfied with everything, and somebody shows up with the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Then, all of a sudden, they see somebody's got something they want. And they can go one of two ways. They can say, give me a drink of that living water so I'll never thirst again. Or they can get even madder and more bitter and envious that they don't have that kind of peace. That's the two ways it can go. And I'd say there are plenty of us Christians that remember somebody seeing somebody with the peace of God and we saw them get saved, praise the Lord, so they could have some of it. And we've seen some turn away mad, sad, sorrowful, and everything else because they weren't about to do it. So the first influence of the presence of God on the people that don't have it is they're dissatisfied with their present condition. Secondly, and this is what we hope for, they desire to be united with God's people. There have been, and we've talked about it in our Baptist history study a few years ago, there have been people that were actually the executioner killing one of these Baptist preachers. And after they carried it out, got converted and went and joined the church he was at. That's true. Why? Because the way he faced death showed them he had something real that they could only imagine. And they said, give me a dose of that. Can you imagine <laughs> being the executioner of somebody and then wanting to be just like them? So number one, dissatisfaction. 
Number two, desire to be united with God's people. Number three, readiness to conform with the practices of God's people. They say, well, let me learn. Let me see how to do things like you're doing. When I see somebody that knows how to do something at work that I don't know how to do, I start copying. Oh, okay, so you did that. You go to this screen, and then you click on this button and do this. I, I start copying them. I really do. When you see somebody's got the peace of God, learn what they're doing. You know what the Bible says about the house of, uh, oh, who was the first convert there at the end of Corinthians? And his buddies with Fortinatus. I forget all those names. But anyway, he said, submit yourselves to them and people like them. Stephanus, the family, that's it. The household of, of Stephanus. So submit yourselves to them. Learn from them. Go with you to the house of God. People are having the hardest time just being faithful to God's house. Go with them to the throne of grace. People have a hard time just spending an hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. In our day, boy, they're lucky to get five minutes of prayer, aren't they? Amen. And that's over your food. Uh, go with them to the cross. You ever go back to the cross and remember what the Lord did for you there? That's why we do the Lord's Supper, isn't it? That's why we should, should think of it often. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Oh, here's one. Go with them to the field of service. Somebody out soul winning, help them. Somebody spreading the word of God, help them. Somebody taking some gospel to somebody, fix a meal and take it with it. Go with them to the house of God. Go with them to the throne of grace. Go with them to the cross. Go with them to the field of service. Here's one. Go with them to the field of conflict. Well, I don't want to get involved. Well, when it comes to standing up for the Lord and being a soldier, it's your duty to get involved. That doesn't mean in everybody's personal business, but in the spiritual business it is. And I assure you there will be conflict arise because of that. Go with them to the Word of God. People need to read their Bible. Go with them to death. When we get saved, we don't get saved to do this, you know, just until we retire. This goes all the way to death. You know what I'm glad Jesus didn't do? I'm glad he didn't retire early. Amen. That's I'm glad he went all the way to death. That's right. That's how I got in. Amen. Let's not retire early. Let's be true to the Lord all the way to the end. I've referred oftentimes to men of God you know, up in their 80s and 90s. Brother Payne was here just a couple weeks ago. Of course, Dr. Ruckman, my mentor. What a blessed thing it is when people just stay true to God all the way to the end. Go with them to death. Go with them to eternal glory. Share in their toils. Work with them. Share in their dangers and sorrows. You say, why would I want to do that? I'll tell you why. So you can share in their joys. So you can share in their blessings. So you can share in their privileges. Oh, it's a great thing to unite with God's people. But be sure you find the presence of God there. Let me read you one more passage before we start winding this up. Let's look at Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah. 4, let's see. 19. 
Nehemiah 4.19, And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. Uh, there is a great work needs to be done in our day. And we are more separated from one another than we've ever been in, in my lifetime. And in this country, I'm, I'm satisfied. There were bigger churches and larger groups together, way more. You know what we need to do? We need to be sounding the trumpet and gathering around and helping each other. Because the Lord knows we sure don't need to split up even more. This thing is coming apart. All right, now first, let God's people be careful to secure his presence. Only with him near do we have safetyness, safety and happiness and glory. Second, let us urge any who are asking about these things and inquiring to decide now for the Lord because this decision is too great and too urgent to put off to a convenient season. There are plenty of people that know they need to get with God and they need to get with God's people and they just aren't good. You know why? There's a thousand distractions. There's TV. There's videos. There's phone calls. There's chats. There's emails. There's constant entertainment. Every, every manner of media there could ever be. Uh, somebody needs to decide now. We're about at the end. Things are not looking good. Decide now. Third, invite others to join with us in fellowship with God. Fourth, if you had gone back on the Lord, it's foolish for how it will hurt you. And it may be criminal for how it will hurt others. If you don't get with God, and if you don't get with God's people, and if you don't have in power God's presence in your life, it'll hurt you. But you may not care. You're saved. Let me tell you something. There's some people you really love and you really care about that may really miss out because you weren't where you need to be. And when the trumpet sounded, you didn't show. And some people were looking up to you, and some people were following you, and they just figured, well, I guess it just ain't all that important. And past generations, people understood this a lot better. Uniting with God's people. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word. And God, I pray that we find some people that have your presence on them. And I pray we'd appreciate it.